Hey, thanks for tuning into my podcast. This is Big Head on the Block, hosted by me, Tim Henderson, a.k.a. Big Head. Hey, welcome back to Big Head on the Block. Today I'm doing a remote podcast and I'm using my phone to record, so bear with me. My guest is a current member of an outlaw motorcycle club, OMC. For a multitude of reasons, we're going to conceal his identity. We will also not mention the name of the 1% club he belongs to, but I will say this. If I were to tell you the name, you would definitely know who they are. I'm going to give you a short list just for context of some OMC clubs, and I'm just doing it in alphabetical order. That way you don't have to sit here and try to figure out if I'm mentioning the club or not. The Bandidos, the Hells Angels, the Mongols, the Outlaws. These are some of the more prominent clubs out here. And today, I want to say I appreciate you doing the interview and welcome. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Now, let's get right into it. Um, If you could just kind of give me an idea of your upbringing, your childhood, the things that you were exposed to. You know, you and I have had a brief conversation about some things, but just tell me how your background kind of propelled you into the position you're in now as far as with this uh, OMC. Well, back in the late 60s and early 70s, my whole family was involved. My father was a president of a motorcycle club. I grew up in the life, and one thing led to another, and here I am. <laughs> so how long have you been uh, a part of this uh, OMC? We're just going to refer to it as OMC, and some people call it Outlaw Motorcycle Club. Some people call it outlaw motorcycle game but we'll just call it a club omc so how long have you been affiliated with the current omc oh a little over 15 years 15 years so so let's let's go back to your childhood a little bit and focus on that just a little bit you said your father was the president of an omc and yeah. some of the things that you many were exposed uh, i'm sorry say again for many years for many years so some of the things that you were exposed to as a child did you experience uh, the brotherhood, the uh, the violence. Did you experience the, the normal things attributed with the OMC? Oh, yes. Um, you know, I saw my dad in bar fights and all kind of things. Um, back then, it wasn't really hidden, you know. I remember being on runs with them as a kid and seeing things. But to me, it was normal. <laughs> so as a child, you're growing up. Your father's the president of a OMC. You seeing pattern of life that you think is normal to you so the violence the fights and and maybe even a little more violent than that these things are just normal to you because that's how you were brought up yeah there was much more violence yeah it's it's funny that a lot of people when you when you do research and you know um for those listening uh omcs and the mafia have always intrigued me as a law enforcement officer if I wouldn't have cho- chose that path, maybe I would have chose one of the other two paths there. Those have always intrigued me, and it's something that I've done a lot of research on, and I understand that a lot of these were developed, a lot of these uh, OMCs were developed from soldiers coming home or Marines, whatever the case may be, coming home from these wars, and they're looking for a brotherhood. They're looking for some place to belong because a lot of people don't understand them uh, would you say that's a true statement? Oh, yeah. It's it's the camaraderie, you know. 
And um, it's a brotherhood. You know, if you can't depend on your brother, you can't depend on anybody. Now, when you refer to brotherhood, I'll say this in the police world, at least historically, as I was growing up, it was something where we all could call upon each other. So OMCs have chapters in different states. Police officers have departments, sheriff departments, police departments, federal agencies and stuff, and they're located in every state. And just the sheer quantity of police officers, somewhere between seven and 800,000 nationally, we can call upon our brothers in Texas, Wyoming, you know, Arizona, anywhere we need something, we can call, and typically they'll help us out. So the brotherhood, at least when I retired a couple of years ago, was alive and strong, and I'm hoping that these young cops continue that brotherhood. So as a child, you you grew up a certain way. You were exposed to certain things. Eventually, you chose a um, path in life that led you to be incarcerated. Is that an accurate statement? Oh, yeah. So Very. <laughs> you have any idea how many times you've been arrested? I'd say going to a county jail or something like that, probably in the hundreds. And then I've done state time three different occasions. All right. So let's focus on the uh, the state time. When when you were incarcerated, as they say on the streets, uh, an extended stay, when you did many years, what was the most years you did consecutively? Do you remember? Most I did consecutively was a dime. Okay. So 10 years. When is this whenever... You became affiliated with the Aryan Brotherhood whenever you did this 10 years? Yes. So we see the prison movies and everything. So is this something where, as a white boy, you align yourself with the whites? Is it is it based like that, like it is on the prison documentaries and the prison shows? Everything we hear, say you have to click up. Would you, would you say that that's true? Back on my first time, it was. Um, things were much different back then. Uh, nowadays, it's not like that anymore. So the first time you did it, you aligned yourself with the white boys. Was it a was it a race thing specifically? Like, did you not like blacks? Did you not like Hispanics? Or was it just I got to be with the white boys because that's where the protection is? Well, I have a background of being racial. Um, learned later on in life that it's not about skin color. When you uh, when you say that you. Um, like a, a skinhead type movement or something? Yeah. I was heavily involved as a young man. With a skinhead organization? Yes. Okay, so you had the shave head, the boots, the uh, <laughs> the whole look? Flight jacket, everything. And just for some context to our listeners, a skinhead is basically somebody affiliated or attributed to like a Hitler movement, a neo-Nazi, someone who is a white male and there are white females that are involved in the skinhead organization. Typically the white males have shaved heads and the attire that we described a few minutes ago, they believe in the superiority of the white race. And a lot of them have white supremacist or racial views, but you know, that changed for you. You, Went from skinhead to prison, Aaron Brotherhood. I learned in prison that it's not about skin color. Even though you're lying with uh, the white people, it's not about skin color? Yeah. When it comes to problems on the yard, it's a racial thing. Otherwise, it usually involves some sort of transaction. 
All right, so basically what you're saying is if you're in the Aaron Brotherhood and there's money to be made, whether it be through violence or drugs or anything, then the racial lines are okay to cross. It's just not acceptable whenever there's violence um, between races. That's not, it's not spoke of or heard of. <laughs> okay, good deal. So as an Aaron Brotherhood member, a lot of times, you know, we see that you have to, as they say, put in the work. Um, when they ask you to do things, you have to do violence for them. And, and you kind of give us just a, uh, we don't need you to tell us any actual crimes that you committed, but just tell us in theory what you would do as an enforcer. Well, if you owed for something or any kind of transaction or you messed with somebody the wrong way, I'd come and see you. Okay, so basically if someone, say, was buying drugs for from the AB, they didn't pay, they would send somebody like you to send the message to them? If something like that was to occur in a state facility, that's kind of what would happen. Okay. So was the uh, Aaron Brotherhood, was it prevalent in the facility that you were in? Very. All right. And for those listeners, I know y'all probably don't like the fact that we're not mentioning his name, the club's name. We're going to talk about the uh, Aaron Brotherhood, but only just general stuff. We're just talking about stuff that you can uh, see on TV and, and documentaries and stuff. We're not we're not saying anything derogatory about the Aaron Brotherhood. You know, prison is what it is. In the Aaron Brotherhood specifically, and I only know this not through any kind of personal experience, but through documentaries and stuff. A lot of them say the same things that you say. They thought it was a race-based organization. They aligned themselves with the whites for protection, but they seem soon became disenchanted with the whole situation because they realized that it wasn't about race. It was about money and power. So money and power. And most people probably don't understand that concept and you would more than me, obviously, but that's something that's, controls the prison environment, right? Very much so. So the Aaron Brotherhood always had a uh, reputation for not necessarily being the biggest, but the most violent. It, it, would, would that be something that you could agree on? Oh, yes. That's our motto, and that's what we were known for. Okay, so you did your 10 years, you came out. Eventually, you decided to... to alter your course from the skinhead to the Aaron Brotherhood, and now you're involving yourself with the OMC. So tell us kind of just in general how this came about. You know, how were you introduced to the club that you chose, and why did you choose this particular club? Oh, when I got out the first time, I was out for about two days and having a real hard time adjusting. And some old friends got a hold of me and they had some certain items that they wanted to start moving around and get it out in circulation. And I just happened to know some people and some of these people were bikers and one thing led to another and there we went. <laughs> okay. So basically, uh, basically as we see on these prison shows and we talk, and I've talked to other prisoners before because I was a cop, obviously I've interviewed thousands of people we see that in prison, there's not a lot of resources given to somebody to help them develop 
a life after they get out. And after doing 10 years, you probably were as institutionalized as possible. So I could see it would be hard to readjust. So you were given an opportunity to make money. You had connections and sources. So that kind of led you into a situation where you were able to help people move either items or product. Yeah. Okay. And one thing led to another, and I started hanging around a certain club, and and they asked me if I wanted to join, and I went through the steps to join, and here we are today. So it's been about 15 years you've been affiliated with this particular club. I know a lot about this particular club, and I wish we could mention it, but, you know, for, like I said, a multitude of reasons, we won't. But the particular club you're affiliated with, People think that OMC clubs, all the ones I mentioned earlier, and there's hundreds more, they think that everything they do is violent and every member is violent. But we have found in law enforcement that not every member partakes in violence or criminal activity. Not every member is, you know, they're, they're about their life because they, they prospect and they become a patch member, but they're not necessarily committed to the to the criminal aspect of it. Can you share some insight on that? Well, basically, just because you're wearing a diamond doesn't necessarily mean you have to be that diamond. Now, um, let, me, let me stop and tell people, when he says diamond, it's the patch that all the OMC clubs wear that says one percenter. And the funny thing about the one percenter logo or, or motto, I should say, is that the American Motorcycle Association actually said 99% of all bikers are good, decent people. And the 1% are derived from that statement where they said only 1%, you know, is the ones causing problems. Uh, I find that kind of funny that, uh, that the American Motorcycle Association actually gave this particular group and soon to be groups of people uh, an identity. There, when that all occurred, there were several groups involved already okay and their logos were designed at that time and colors and the whole demographic of everything yeah so the um the omc concept so that was just a quick def um explanation for my listeners so let's go back just because they're wearing the the diamond doesn't mean what i cut you off oh just because they wear the diamond is doesn't mean necessarily mean that they're going to be out doing that type of work. Um, there are lawyers in the club. There's doctors. You know, it's it, just because you're wearing that diamond doesn't mean you're some bad guy, right? So the what what we see as society, what we see in OMC is this: we see a band. We'll call it a band of brothers, just to you know, because I believe that's what it is. We see all y'all. Go ahead. That was that, that's exactly what it is. You know, the intent is not to be some kind of ragtag gang like the Crips or the Bloods or anything. Right. There's a hierarchy. We do charitable events. Yeah, and I, know, I was going to mention that a lot of motorcycle OMCs affiliate themselves with charities, and they do rides and other things. Um, so it, it's commendable that. Y'all try to, you know, put put that forward also, um, because as I was saying, I started to say earlier, 
we stereotype bikers. If I see uh, an OMC club at a bar, I automatically think they're going to get drunk wild. There's going to be fights. There's going to be stabbings and everything. That's just kind of the persona y'all put out. But it's a persona that I think y'all have earned. And I think, you know, when people see y'all, they see badasses. They see people with these cuts, you know, these motorcycle jackets with these logos on back. The perception is that y'all all tough guys. Y'all willing to fight at a drop of a hat, maybe just to even have fun. In reality, I'm sure y'all not always looking for trouble. No. When you're at bars, you're just out to have a good time. You know, as long as people don't bother y'all, I would imagine y'all wouldn't necessarily want to bother them. That's it. Well, what if, uh, so your club happens to just say drive to another state, you know, I, I'm not even going to tell them what state you're in. Just say that you drive from state A to state B. You and your, and your club happen upon a bar. When you get there, you don't realize it, but maybe it's territory of another club. Is this something that you would know in advance, or is this something that you would try to mitigate? If- oh, very much so. No, we would definitely know in advance. Um, if it's a state where my specific club didn't have a charter, then there would be some phone calls made and patches wouldn't be allowed to be worn. Okay, so you would if you if you went to another person's another club's territory, you would respect them to the point where you wouldn't wear your colors unless they actually gave you permission. Correct. Now, when y'all do large bike rides or um, um, bike runs, I should say not rides, say to Sturgis, no matter how y'all get there, y'all gonna wear your patches the whole way, right? Oh yeah. Okay, so the the other movement is just kind of casual movement, not not necessarily uh, a formal uh, club movement. Well, we do have runs. Um, you know, we have prison runs and all kind of stuff like that, where it's cross country sometimes. Okay, it, it, uh, but when you move when you're moving as a as a large group, there'll be some phone calls made ahead. Okay, and usually a lot of times we get police escorts. Okay. Yeah. All the way in and all the way out. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. You know, I, I've dealt with several OMC clubs, and uh, honestly, most of them are good people, man. You know, I, um, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is this: police don't necessarily have any kind of vendetta against a OMC club. I saw a documentary on TV, and they followed. It was a um, ATF agent, and he followed. You know the the movement of a uh, OMC when they were on a run. You know they they waved at him, they flipped him the bird. They knew who he was, but he actually pulled up into a restaurant with uh, another reporter that he happened to be with. And these OMC members walked up to his car and they said, "Yeah, we saw you." You know, and, and they shooting the breeze with him. Uh, there was n- nothing contentious about it. They respected him and he respected them, and they had casual conversation. You know, asked him how his wife was and everything. So. People don't understand that there's not always an adversarial relationship with cops and these biker gangs, or as we call them, OMCs. And I know you don't like the term biker gang, but it's just a thing that comes off uh, uh, as, as just what a cop calls y'all, man. So don't be offended by it. But um, been called worse. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. We uh, so the respect component. 
is something that is probably overlooked. Police. Now, I would imagine if y'all understand the police are targeting y'all unfairly, that it would piss you off. Um, And then, you know, maybe that those encounters wouldn't happen. So have you ever been to jail as a member of your OMC? Oh, yeah. Most eight time, but definitely for, you know, good old bar fights and stuff like that. On a side note, a lot of our listeners have watched the show Sons of Anarchy, which is based on a biker gang, the leader eventually being Jax. And it depicts extreme violence, constant chaos, murder, gun running. It depicts a lot of stuff that is probably somewhat accurate, but not totally accurate. Well, it's public record. You can go online and look up any club and see that there's been members charged with everything that you said. Is that the club as a whole? Definitely not. Um, Certain things happen. Certain people have different ideas. The thing about some anarchy is, excuse me, it, uh, it kind of screwed up the whole biker world. In what capacity? Well, you had the younger generation watching that show, and they idolized that lifestyle. And our world is about respect, not just walking up and smashing somebody in the face or shooting somebody or dealing drugs or whatever. Our whole life is about respect okay. and camaraderie. So respect, and camaraderie, and you know, it's funny you say that because the, that parallels the problems that we're having in the, in the police world. And, and I'm going to get off topic for a second. But as a law enforcement officer, as a cop for 32 years, the respect component with these criminals or gangsters, whatever you want to call them out here, is gone. So I think it's a generational thing. I think that these younger Very people, so. yeah, they just don't understand respect. You know, I expect no. that. If I meet you in a in a bar and you have your colors on, I'm not gonna go up to you and and fuck with you just because I'm a cop and I see that you have your colors on, right? We can coexist, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. But these youngsters, man, they they just flat out fools. So back on point, you saying they kind of screwed up the biker world because they don't really understand the respect component of it. Is that some- a lot of these clubs now are they're recruiting gang members, you know, and these guys don't have a clue. And I, I would guess that the reason they recruit recruiting gang members is just basically uh, for numbers, because if they're not ne- if they're not necessarily uh, you know bike riders in a brotherhood, it's got to be a number or power thing. Oh yeah. So do you think that huge numbers thing, it's all a numbers game. So I have a question for you personally. Um, I've seen documentaries on two clubs that were in Nevada that actually had a huge bar fight. Several people were, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a bar fight. It was a, a fight in the casino actually where several members of the Mongols and several members of the Hells Angels. And I bring this up because this is one of the ones that you can uh, do a lot of research on. You can actually see the video. These type of engagements with it, it, there were definitely hundreds of people. Is this commonplace if y'all happen to meet up 
in, in this mass, uh, you know, in this, I guess, quantity of people in that are in one area, or is it is it just something that randomly, occasionally occurs on a smaller scale, or even not at all? Oh, it happens. Um, a lot of times, it depends on the politics that's going on at that point in time. And when you say politics, no. you mean internal politics. Yeah. So um, something like that. Be at odds with a certain club, or they may be friends of ours at that time. Okay, so the so, the encounters would just depend on the uh, the political and environment between the clubs. Political. Um, you know, sometimes people are in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, as we had a segment and we talked about the bar fights and stuff. I guess it's important to know that all members of OMC are not necessarily, as we said earlier, criminals. So a lot of them aren't convicted felons and have the ability to, to open carry in whatever state allows it or to carry, um, you know, knives, pocket knives or whatever. Uh, would you find that to be the case? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Um, there's some members that's never even seen the inside of a jail. Okay. As we end this podcast, I want I want to let you tell me one thing about your club that the general public wouldn't know some of the good that y'all do. Let's, let's talk about this as we end the podcast. Well, you don't hear very much about the good we do. Um, we do a lot of toys for tots runs, uh, food banks, um, helping out homeless. We do women and children in distress. Um, you know, you don't, you never hear about the good we do. And I, I would agree with that because I guess really just kind of like the news, man, people just want to hear the worst of the worst. They're not, they're not interested in the good you do. Now I, I personally know that OMC clubs have done charitable events and they are some good people in, in these clubs and they, and they're, they really have a big heart when it comes to giving and they're more than willing to raise money for sick kids and for people that are homeless and stuff. So, you know, when you see OMC Club, give them uh, member, give them the benefit of the doubt. This is going to wrap up the podcast. I want to thank you. We're going to call you Mr. X to leave. I want to thank you, Mr. X, for doing the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Tim. Good deal, man. And we'll see y'all next time on Big Head on the Block. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Big Head on the Block. I'm Tim Henderson, the host. I look forward to dropping another podcast soon. Please give us any comments, likes, dislikes, or any topics y'all would like to discuss. Thank you.